You know, I can tell you that uh, Matt and Ryan probably got together about that whole guitar solo because last time I was really short, you know, I, te- I didn't teach long enough, so I said, hey, you know what, I need you to play for a long time. So bring it on. I'll, I'll go short this time so he does it again next time. How's that sound? Hey, uh, real quick, I just want to tell you I'm excited to be here today. Um, this, uh, this lesson is ordained by God. Let me tell you how I know that. If you don't mind, I'm going to move this real quick. When Matt first asked me to come and asked me if I would speak this week, I said, yeah, sure, absolutely. What do you want me to teach on? Where are we going to be? We've been traveling through the book of Matthew for a little over a year now. And I, you know, I wanted to be, Matt can prepare in a couple of days. It takes me a few weeks to prepare. Um, and I wanted to know what we were going to be teaching on. So he said, well, he said, right now we're teaching this chapter. You know, next week I'll get this one and the following week I'll get that. And then the next week I'll keep everybody 25 minutes long and we'll get, I'm kidding, he didn't really say that. Um, and we'll get this one finished. And uh, so we should be teaching the triumphal entry. I said, oh, awesome, I can do that. Let's, I'll, I'll teach a triumphal entry. And he was like, well, you know, he said, I'd really rather teach that the week before Easter. I said, well, I can teach off, I can teach off subject if you want me to teach something different. He said, well, when is Easter? Turns out, I'll tell you right now, Matt and I aren't organized enough for us to have planned for the triumphal entry to be getting taught this week. So we got God behind us on this lesson. Uh, today we're going to talk about, um, about expectations. And uh, an expectation, Webster defines an expectation as a strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. Two young boys are on a school playground, fighting it out. Why? One made the team, the other one didn't. Two, host, two, two high school girls in their senior year have been friends since the fourth grade, but they haven't talked since the junior prom. Why? Mr. X asked the one out when the other one wanted to go to the prom with Mr. X. A husband and a wife are sitting in a counselor's office, or worse yet, they're sitting in a courtroom. These situations are no different than just about any other conflict that's happened before or will happen again. I personally think in each of the examples I cited, and practically every other issue today, every conflict boils down to one thing. Somewhere along the way, one or both of the parties had an unmet or unrealized expectation. Uh, in every situ- I also think in every situation there's a pure expectation that could be met. A perfect way that the situation could work out where everybody would be satisfied and, um, and it would go down the way God would see it go down. Uh, in our broken nature, though, we, we seldom achieve that. Um, as Christians, we strive to, uh, but we're prone to compromise. We often give in, we give in when we give in, we often give ground when enough of our demands have been met. But that's not how it works in God's economy. His expectations are always pure and good. His expectations are for each of us for, are for each of us are for our best. It's our compromise, not his, that causes us to fall short. Okay, let me set the stage for you. First, I'd like you to open your Bibles. We're gonna we're gonna be in in Matthew today, but first, I want you to go to Daniel chapter nine, chapter nine, verses twenty five and twenty six. Now, if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles at the end of the aisles. Help yourself to one. Uh, if you just need it today, great. If you don't have a Bible at home, that Bible is yours to keep. So it's a gift from the church. All right, I want to kind of set the stage. Uh, today we're going to be covering um, a prophecy uh, by, by Zechariah. Uh, but before we get there, I want to talk about a, a prophecy. I want to share a prophecy that Daniel made 500 years before Christ came, before Christ was born. Verse 25, no one understand this. From the time the word goes, this is chapter 9, I'm sorry if, you, if I didn't say that. No one understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one. The ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be re- rebuilt with streets 
and a trench, but in times of trouble. And after sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the people of the ruler who will come and destroy the city and sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. Now, there's a lot of math in that, and I'm not much of a math guy, but I can tell you what the studying that I've done, there are a lot of theologians, uh, and the reason I wanted to share that with you is there are a lot of theologians that believe that the numbers that are in that verse actually depict the day that Christ would, to the day that Christ would come to Jerusalem and be sacrificed. They predict basically this day in history almost 2,000 years ago. Now turn your Bibles to Matthew 21. Up until now, Jesus' ministry has been, often at his own request, um, very low-key. You know, he would, he would perform a miracle, and then he would tell the person that he, that, he, that he healed or he cured, he would say, go and tell no one. Um, he deliberately avoided public scenes. When things would start getting kind of chaotic, he would just, he would just leave. Um, he, um, his entry into Jerusalem marks marks the only time in his ministry that Jesus planned and promoted a public demonstration. Jesus, his disciples, a large group of people had been following, and a large group of people that had been following him on the road from Jericho were heading east. They were getting to Jerusalem at the beginning of the Passover, which was a huge, which was a huge festival um, in Jerusalem at, during this time. It's estimated there were around 2 million people in and around Jerusalem. Um, so just to set the stage, we've got us a very, very large crowd here. Okay, now if we're going to unpack the text in Matthew, uh, uh, Matthew chapter 21, uh, verse 1 through 11. I'm just going to read through the text and then I'll kind of unpack it a little bit when we're done. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to your daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and a colt, colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now I want to kind of cover, I want to kind of unpack this from two different vantage points. First I want to talk about what God's trying to show us here in these verses. In verses 1 through 3, he's showing us Jesus' lordship. As Messiah, he had, the re- he had the right to request anything that he wanted. He sent the disciples for, that, for, the, um, for the donkey and the colt with just the, if anyone asks what you're doing, just tell them the Lord needs them. Just to test this out, I went to the mall yesterday. I hung out for about an hour. And as guys were coming out from the mall, you know, I'd hang out by nice cars and I'd go, hey, the Lord needs your car. I didn't get a single, I'm driving a Ford F-150 today. I didn't get a single set of keys. So for him to be able to just, Say to his disciples, go and get the donkey and, and, and bring them to me. Is just showing his lordship. He's showing his dominion over time in verses 4 and 5. He's showing the people of Jerusalem that Jesus is the Messiah of prophecy. 
not just Zechariah's prophecy of how he would arrive, but also Daniel's prophecy of the exact day that he would arrive. In verse, in verse 7, he's showing us Jesus is the king. Through his disciples' actions with the cloaks, putting the cloaks on the donkey, and the people's um, actions of putting the cloaks in the, on the ground, this is not something they just did off the cuff. Second uh, uh, Kings uh, 9.13 gives an example of this treatment for King Jehua. This is, a, this is a traditional way to treat a king. So for them to be doing that, they were showing uh, that Jesus was the king. In verse 7, another thing, we, another thing we see in verse 7 is Jesus' dominion over animals. Um, in Mark's version of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, um, he tells the disciples they will find a colt upon which no one has ever sat. Anybody know anything about colts? I know that when you're the, the first person who gets to sit on a colt, doesn't get to stay there for very long. Share, share a, tip, a, a similar story. I was in my office one day, and one of my buddies called me and said, hey, the tough Wiedemann bull riding contest is coming. I said, cool, let's get some tickets. He goes, nope, got a better idea. He said, uh, they're looking for some guys from the base to go out and ride steers at the intermission. You want to go? I said, hey, it's been a long time since I've done something stupid. Yeah, sign me up. So <laughs> off we go. And, you know, I get there, and the thing's like not much bigger than my dog. We have two Rhodesian Ridgebacks, and I, th- I can ride one of them. So I'm looking at this thing. I get in there. I get all strapped in. I got something to hold on. I think, I'm, this is good. I'm good. They open that gate. I, I, I promise you, they shocked that thing to get it out of there the way it came out of there. It zigged. I zigged. It zagged. I zagged. It zigged. I zagged. Off I went, landed flat on my backside. And, and I can tell you that a colt is no different. A colt is no different. That was the longest 1.7 seconds of my life. And uh, the only thing that lasted longer... The only thing that lasted longer was the bruised tailbone. The tough Wiedemann came back the next year, and my buddy called me up and said, hey, you want to do it again? I said, dude, I can't. My backside is still bruised from last year, and I wasn't kidding. It was a year. And, and another thing to keep in mind is that this wasn't just a ride down a, a you know, calm, peaceful trail through the woods. There was mayhem. There were people throwing stuff on the streets, crowds shouting, waving stuff. And this colt, Christ climbed on this colt, and it acted like it was a seasoned, a seasoned uh, uh, riding horse. But most importantly, what God is showing us in these verses is that Jesus was coming in peace. That Jesus arrives on a donkey is proof of his intention to come in peace. Text from the 17th century B.C. indicates that in times of peace, royalty would ride on donkeys as opposed to a horse because a horse was was a symbol of and associated with warfare. So kings of that day would ride on a donkey when the country was at peace to show the countrymen, hey, look at this, what I've achieved, we are at peace here. So, so that's what God's showing us in these passages. Let's talk a little bit about what the people are doing in these passages. First of all, in verses 8 and 9, they're paying homage. The people are running ahead, of the, they're paying homage to Christ. They're running ahead of the procession. They're throwing their coats in the street before Jesus. They're, they undoubtedly recognize the situation for what it is, which is evident in that they're shouting as they enter the city, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. The word Hosanna, literally translated, means save us, we pray. So when they yell Hosanna, they're saying save us, we pray. This expression is found in Psalm 118, and it's followed by blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now the, Jew, the Jews would be extremely familiar with what they were saying when they were saying this. This isn't just a saying that they've heard used, so they're just saying it. They, every year, 
during the Feast of the Tabernacles, uh, this psalm would be sung all seven days of the Feast of the Tabernacle. And the Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is, who come, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, was a, something that they would chant in response to uh, teachings and to, and, and, to, um, to, and to different things during those ceremonies. So they are adamantly familiar and, and, and they absolutely know what, what they're saying when they say this. So the crowd is going wild. In Luke's description, um, in Luke's description of the same day, the Pharisees shout to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus, but Jesus yells, he yells back, he says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. I mean, this place has gone berserko. And the reason that, the reason that they're telling them, the Pharisees are telling them to, to rebuke his, uh, his, his disciples uh, was because when they, by treating Jesus in this manner, in their eyes, they, they were committing blasphemy. Yeah, baby, we had a full-on party. It was just getting started. As the parade made its way into Jerusalem, um, the text says the city was stirred. I like what the message translation says. The whole city was shaken. Unnerved people were asking, what's going on here? Who is this? Since, the, since Jesus had not spent time in Jerusalem during his ministry, many of the people of that city didn't even know who he was. Um, another thing that, we're, that the text shows that the people were doing is they were giving glory to Jesus. Who is this? The people shouted to the multitude traveling with Jesus. And the, and the, and the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet Nazareth, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. It was full-on pandemonium. Or was it? Sure, the crowd was whipped up. After all, the king was here. The long-awaited Messiah had finally arrived to save them. So why a week later was Jesus hanging on a cross? The city was stirred up. The excitement was high. But was it pandemonium? Or was it, or was it fandemonium? Jesus came to Jerusalem to die. That was preordained by God. Nothing that happened that week would have changed it. And we wouldn't have wanted it to. But where was this crowd of followers? Where was this third city? There was, where was the multitude that had been traveling with him and had witnessed him do miracles, miracle after miracle? In fact, a lot of the folks that were traveling with him had been there when he raised Lazarus from the dead. So these guys didn't see dime store miracles. They saw the real deal. They saw a guy in the tomb four days raised from the dead. The people who traveled in the triumphal parade and those who lined the streets were not followers of Jesus. They were fans. They were probably only waving palm branches because those foam number one deals hadn't been invented yet. I was, I'm glad you guys liked that one. I really worked on that one. Um, they all knew the prophecy. They knew and believed that the Messiah would come and save them. But their expectations of being saved, the expectations of what being saved would look like, and God's plan to save them were in conflict. Through history, God would rescue his people through force and violence. They expected the enemy Jesus faced to be the Roman Empire. Instead, he came to, he came to combat the evil principalities of the world. They expected violence against Rome. Instead, God had the violence fall upon Jesus. And they expected the weapon to be a sword, and God chose a nail instead. Is it possible that when Jesus arrived, the Jews saw an end to the Roman rule over them? And when he began to clash with the Jewish leaders instead of the Romans, he was not meeting their expectations of a savior? And like fans are prone to do when their expectations are met, they turned on him. 
Let's talk a little bit. Last year in the NFL, the Super Bowl was coming to town, the big show, right? And the hometown team was fresh off of their first playoff win in a while. Expectations were high. Modern-day sports profits were predicting, local and national sports profits were predicting big things for the hometown team. And then the season started, and things didn't go so well. After a few losses, expectations started to slide, and with it, the team devotion. The hometown fans were calling for heads to roll. Now listen, before, I know a lot of you know that I'm not from here, but I want you to know, before I lose you, I've been to Cowboys games, I've been to Rangers games, you guys are great fans. This is a terrific sports city. It took you guys seven weeks to look for heads to roll. Where I come from, one series of downs. Guy goes out, leads an 80-yard scoring drive. He's the best decision this team's ever made. Ah! Goes out the next time, throws a pick six in the other direction. They're booing him. They're chanting a backup quarterback's name nobody's ever heard of before. It's crazy. But that's how fans are. The church today has a lot of fans. The church today is not without fans. I shouldn't say we have a lot, but it's not without fans. Folks that profess to know the Lord here on Sunday morning, praise Jesus, pass the cinnamon buns. You knew I had to get cinnamon buns in, right? (laughs) But come Monday, when they're in a situation where where the Jesus team isn't very popular, they stay silent in word, and, and worse, sometimes they even stay silent indeed about who he is in their lives. Jesus doesn't need or want fans. Jesus' desire is for followers. He desires followers not because he finds fulfillment in having them. He desires followers because he loves us and he knows that following him is what's best for us. When I opened, I said that God's expectations for us are pure and his expectations for us are for our best. He proves it in, in Jeremiah 29, 11, where he says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. In the time we have left, I want to go over some of the differences between fans and followers. First of all, fans are fickle. Followers are un- unconditional. A fan lives in the moment when the team is up. A follower leans on God and lives through the moment, even when times are tough. James 1.12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Revelations 3.11, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. A fan only associates with success. A follower is committed to the purpose even if he doesn't see the outcome. You know fans committed to success. How, how true is this? Monday morning. Man, did you see that game yesterday? We won. Or, Monday morning, hey, did you see that game yesterday? They lost. We only connect to success. Fans only connect to success. The followers is committed to the purpose, even if he doesn't see the outcome. Hebrews 11, I call these folks the faithful five. Uh, 11.1, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Verse 4, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. Verse 7 is, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in a holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place 
He would later receive as, it in, as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Verse 11, and by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was able, was able to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners in a, on a strange Foreigners on a strange earth. Another difference between fans and followers. Fans are watchers. Followers are doers. Followers get their hands dirty. 1 Corinthians 9, 19. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. And they do it without grumbling. Philippians 2, 14. Do everything without grumbling and ar- or arguing. Amen. Do everything that umber, arguing or grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And finally, fans are exclusive. Followers are inclusive. Fans are inward focused. They have their own jerseys. They have their own clubs. They hang together and ridicule fans of other teams. Or if you're from where I'm from, they actually threaten them with bodily injury. <laughs> fans come together to lift... Followers come together to lift one up and encourage one another despite their differences. Hebrews 10.25, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, this is something that we do at the creek really well. We, we come together and we lift each other up despite our differences. You know, it's, there's, a, there's a saying, and it's kind of a sad one. It said, the most segregated day of the week is Sunday because people get up from their houses and they go to the churches where everybody looks alike. But as I sit here, I stand here on this stage in Marine Creek, and I look around, it's not like that here. We have young, we have old. We have men and women. We have uh, people of every social, social, economical scale. We've got people of all different nationalities. And I think that the reason we do it here, the, thing, the, the way we've cracked the code here, is the only agenda we have is to preach Jesus. And Jesus will break down every barrier. Followers go into the world and they seek out the lost. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Those are the difference between fans and followers. I want to close with a story. It's a story about a guy named, a kid, named, uh, a young man named Nadine Kahori. He goes to the high school I graduated from in Upper Darby, just outside of Philadelphia. A couple of months ago, you guys may have seen this if you follow ESPN. A couple of months ago, about seven kids uh, jumped him. Seven older kids jumped him and beat him up pretty badly. Drug him through the snow, stomped on him, put him in a tree, hung him on a fence. I mean, it was pretty brutal video, pretty brutal video to watch. And uh, a lady stopped her car and she she grabbed him and she uh, she brought him you know home. And when he told when he told his mom what had happened, his mom said, "Who his mom who." had immigrated here from a country in Africa, said a country that was very repressed, very bullied, said, Nadine, we have got to say something about this. We cannot let this go. So Nadine got the courage up. Now, I, I tell you, the high school I went to was pretty rough, and, and, and I graduated in 1981. In 2011, I won't drive by there at night. It's a rough neighborhood. Yet he, took, he had the courage to step out and say something to the authorities about this. Now, as it turns out, as it turns out, they, um, one of the kids that was involved in this had actually videoed it on his cell phone and posted it. 
So the police got a hold of the video, went straight into the school, arrested six out of the seven kids right out of the school. And, uh, and, and because Nadine, Nadine was brave enough to step forward and say something. Well, he was on a local talk show, um, kind of just talking about his situation. And, you know, they were pumping him up about how brave he was. And um, they did a little research on him. They found out that he was a Philadelphia Eagles fan. So during the interview, they brought some Eagles out on the stage to meet him. And one of them was a guy named Deshaun Jackson, who's a very good player for the Philadelphia Eagles, who's also a very small man. Nadine is a little guy picked on by big guys. You have this small little NFL guy come out who's picked on by big guys every Sunday, come out and actually can't pick on him because he's too fast, but um, comes out and, and he basically just squeezes in on the chair next to him and just hangs out with Nadine for, for, for 10 minutes, signs a jersey for him, and just kind of just lifts him up and tells him how proud he is of him, Tell, tells him how proud he is of Nadine. Now, let me tell you something. I guarantee you that if Deshaun Jackson goes out this year and has an absolutely horrible season, you will not change Nadine's opinion of him. If he even, like a lot of young NFL players are prone to do, was he, if he was to go out and get in trouble, you would have a hard time challenging Nadine about Deshaun's character. And long after Deshaun is done playing football, Nadine will be telling his kids about the day he showed up to lift him up. Now, I know this is a pretty small comparison, but Jesus saw us being abused by evil powers of this world, and he stepped out of eternity to rescue us. He came here, he died here, and he was raised again, not only to defend us against, but to give us powers over the bully of this world. How much more does he deserve our followership? So finally, what's God's expectation of us? He expects us to be follow- or followers, not fans. Now I challenge you, if you've never allowed Jesus to step into your life and become more than just someone you look up to, someone you can follow, I challenge you today to search your heart and ask yourself, am I ready to stop being a fan of Christ and be an all-out follower of Him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today, Lord. Thank you for bringing everybody in. Father, we lift you up and we just pray thanks for our lives, Lord. Lord, we pray thanks for, um, for, this, for this time that we talked about today, Lord. This, this triumphal entry. Lord, we thank you for meeting the prophecies. Thank you for showing beyond doubt the proof that Christ is, in fact, our Lord and Savior. Lord, I lift up the folks here. I pray that you would uh, help them to search their hearts, Lord. Help them to ask themselves, are they followers or are they fans, Lord? And Father, I pray that you would give them the strength. If, they're, if they know you, Lord, if they're, fo- if they're Christ followers and they know you and they've been being fans, Lord, I pray that you would give them the strength to, uh, to take that next step. And Lord, if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that they would uh, seek you out. Father, that they would, they would look and search to find you and, and, and just commit themselves to you, Lord, and uh, turn their lives over. Father, I love you, we love you, and we lift your name high. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.